Hi, and welcome to The Strad Podcast. I'm Davina Shum, I'm a cellist, and I'm the online editor at The Strad. I'm sure I'm not alone in saying that many musicians found a love for music making at a festival or something similar in their formative years. There's something about the camaraderie, the social aspect of gathering a large number of like-minded individuals in an environment that encourages exchange of ideas and good spirits, and it sticks with musicians for several years. Here to speak to me about the magic of music festivals is cellist Jan Vogler, the Artistic and General Director of the Dresden Music Festival. He chatted to me about his first experience of a music festival, as well as what he hopes to achieve at Dresden this year, with the 45th edition, which will include Cello Mania 2.0, where Jan has invited more than 40 of his cello colleagues. Sounds great. Here's Jan. Jan, welcome to the Strad Podcast. Thanks for joining me this morning in New York. So we're here today to talk about festivals and the wonderful atmosphere that is music festivals. Obviously, in the Northern Hemisphere now, we're going into the summer months where we can look forward to long days of music making. And you are the artistic and general director of the Dresden Music Festival, which is going to be a month of incredible music making. But my first question that I wanted to ask you was, tell me about the first music festival that you ever went to that you remember? Well, the real experience was the Marlboro Music Festival. And I came from East Germany, so from East Berlin. I had the luck to have some teachers in the West who would help me to to connect with these events like the Schleswig-Holstein Festival in Germany or the Marlboro Music Festival. Siegfried Palmi was a German cellist, very interested in contemporary music, premiered a lot of pieces by Penderecki, Ludoslavski and other composers. He told the people who were running Marlboro, Rudolf Serkin was back then still the artistic director, uh, about me and they invited me all the way from East Germany to Vermont in America. And when I came there, I had no idea what they wanted from me. So I brought my cello, but I didn't even know it was a chamber music festival. (laughs) There was no internet where you could just quickly research. And I just thought, whatever they want, I will just somehow make it it happen. And I got there and it was a stormy night. There was thunderstorms and uh, I had traveled for a whole day, basically, via London and Boston. And when I got there, uh, they were performing a concert of chair music. And I heard these musicians, famous musicians playing with young musicians. And I thought, how can they possibly play so well together, not even knowing each other? (laughs) So it was a complete surprise to me. And um, it took me a few days to adjust. I didn't speak English. And I had learned Russian in school. (laughs) After three days, I felt like a fish in the water. It was nature. There were fantastic musicians from the Bose Art Trio, the Gorneri Quartet, and Rudolf Serkin as the incredible artistic director. And there was fantastic nature, Vermont, you know, incredibly poetic forests and lakes. And and there were wonderful young musicians of my age who were all very inspired and hardworking. So I was very impressed with this and it made a big mark. And I must say that I remember that I had a deep interest in how would something like this work? So I asked Frank Salomon, who was running it together with Anthony Czechia, I asked him, I said, what's the budget of your festival (laughs) and how do you pay for it every year? And he told me about the endowment and how 
most of it was paid by the endowment he had and how big the endowment was. And I was really fascinated. And uh, he keeps reminding me now, Frank Salomon, now he still lives in New York. He's still a wonderful manager. And he reminds me, he said, Jan, when you came and you couldn't speak any English, you asked me about the budget of the festival. <laughs> <laughs> you learned those crucial words just so that you can find yeah. that out. Just as an aside, is the Marlborough Music Festival, was that Leslie Parnas? No, I don't think so. I think he, he no, you are right. He was there with Jamie Laredo and um, very early on he, he came he came there and they did a fantastic, I think, Trout recording and also they did an incredible triple concerto recording, which is still maybe my favorite uh, recording of the triple concerto. So, yeah, you're right. It was run by, first it was founded by Adolf Busch. And Alef Bush was an immigrant from this wonderful violinist uh, who we all admire from the Bush Quartet. And he and his family immigrated to America and he founded the Marlboro Music Festival, Marlboro Festival and School of Music. So he wanted to really bring uh, certain traditions to the next generation. And um, he chose the Marlboro College. It was a very small college near Brattleboro in Vermont. And from him, it went to Rudolf Serkin, which makes a lot of sense because Rudolf Serkin married the daughter of Adolf Busch, Irene Busch. Adolf Busch started touring with Serkin when Serkin was very young. He took him in, he lived in his house and later married his daughter. So the whole tradition went really to River Serkin and from Serkin uh, later to uh, Andra Schiff, Mitsuko Uchida now and uh, Richard Gutzo to, to really all wonderful artists who felt very connected to this project, the Marlboro Music Festival, to inspire young musicians and give them a chance to perform with experienced and uh, very charismatic performers together. So you used the word uh, connection before, and I think that's something that really sums up the festival spirit, that connection between not just fellow musicians, but also different generations as well. You know, in your personal view, why do you think festivals are a valuable environment to cultivate this creativity and ideas and and camaraderie well they're fests right i mean like in, in german a fest is a really a celebration of something and i think they celebrate music they celebrate friendship they celebrate this connection they celebrate communications between different cultures between different ways of music making and that's very important and i must say that for me maybe it is the best form of quickly influencing very big groups of musicians. So I came back from Marlboro. I was there for four summers uh, in 1988, 89, 90 and 91. Met my wife there, Mira Wang, in 91. And 1992, oh. we already were thinking, okay, we should found something on our own. In 93, I found the Moritzburg Festival, which is turning 30 this year, which is very much modeled after Marlboro, chamber music, Lots of young musicians, lots of, you know, very well-known musicians. Nature, Moritzburg is, you know, in the beautiful landscape around Dresden. The nature there is stunning. There's a castle, so there's culture. There's also time to take a walk or go for a run. And so, so I think to sit around in the nature at night and discuss and drink and eat <laughs> together. So I think <laughs> eating, drinking, talking spending time together, rehearsing, discussing, performing, all these things come together. And it's a very fast process. If you, if you want to know someone or somebody's world, somebody's musical world, somebody's heritage, somebody's ideas, you get to know them very quickly in a festival, I think. And not so much in the mm -hmm. season. The season is more, you go to some city, let's say to London, and you play one concert at Wigmore Hall or, you know, play with the LPO. And it's incredibly 
rewarding because you have a fantastic audience and you, you try to play your best and give something. But it's not necessarily that there are other colleagues who inspire you permanently. But when you're at a festival, there are always other colleagues. Even if you would perform the same show you're performing in London, you would be surrounded by other musicians who are there maybe for the next day concert or still there from the last day and they come to your performance they say hey so great to see you we never had the chance to meet and so nice to hear you and then you you go out for dinner and you start discussing so even in a festival that has many set shows that are all pre-rehearsed or are on tour it is still that atmosphere of inspiration of density of culture of incredible concentration of quality in one place and um, that is very inspiring for everyone yeah it's coexisting isn't it as, as, as you say it's the eating it's the drinking it's not just the playing the music together but also all these other shared experiences that probably make the music making so much more meaningful I, I think I was having a conversation the other day with someone who was talking about a soloist career and how sometimes you know if you go on you do your concerto with an orchestra And if you don't stay for the second half, it can be quite lonely to go back to your hotel room. But it's not really so much like that with a festival, is it? It's more like, oh, we're all going to be at the bar together afterwards and we're <laughs> all going to talk about this wonderful concert that we did. So I wanted to talk about what you want to achieve with the Dresden Music Festival, because obviously we've, we've spoken about all this shared connection between different musicians. And I know it's it's a hard thing to sum up in such a short amount of time. I was looking through the website before and I was quite astounded by how many incredible world-class artists you've got. But what's something that you're wanting to achieve this year with the festival and what are you most looking forward to? In general, I think it's a fantastic playground, I think, for all of us to explore different ways to present music. When I took over the festival, which is now really almost 15 years ago it's it's scary <laughs> the, the the mayor took me out for lunch and i think he had seen what i had built in molsburg with my chamber music festival and he said would you like to take over the dresden music festival and i was very surprised <laughs> and i thought no i can't do this i have my cello career and this is too much this is a really a big venture But then I presented it to my friends that that same night at my birthday and had a big party and I presented it to some of my closest friends and to my family. And they all said, of course you will do this. <laughs> it was almost like, yeah, you got to do this so we can all have fun. <laughs> it's that classic thing where if something scares you a little bit, then it's sort of a sign that maybe you should do it, even though it's you, you kind of want to say, oh, no, I don't want to do it. But actually... That's very clever. It was a challenge. It was a challenge. And it took me a few years to fully feel I was in the seat and really relaxed leading it and but immediately what I saw was all these genres musical genres uh, we have of course big concerts with symphony orchestras like the uh, LPO coming with Thomas Artis uh, premiering a piece by him amazing right but we have also world music we have jazz we had Eric Clapton perform we'll have Sting perform next year so lots of genres and we can explore how how wide can a classical music festival be and I think we are in this transition right now where we have to understand what the audience of the future will be and there is a certain pull that we can say okay we lead the audience into the future but we can't be stubborn we have to listen it's almost like performing you have to play and listen at the same time and if you listen to the audience you feel their playlists are getting wider and wider and people like different genres of music and there's not any more crossover or anything like that it's more like good music and bad music so 
really to present a lot of concerts that so what nobody would expect. And by now, I must say, we are maybe what some of the stylistically widest ranged festivals in the world. I think the Dresden Music Festival, Dresden being a traditional city, it's quite something. It's a city that's famous for its Staatskapelle and for the sound and for the Strauss repertoire and Bruckner and some opera performances. And now we have this festival with a festival orchestra that plays on period instruments that comes from all over Europe. And we have, you know, all these different genres. And uh, I think it's exciting for the audiences to explore. And uh, we noticed that many people who buy actually these very classic concerts, let's say the Vienna Philharmonic with Andres Nelsons, they also buy the very Uh, exploring and uh, new programs that I think are not necessarily living in every classical music festival. That's quite interesting, isn't it? Because people like to go to concerts where they know what they like, but they also want to be surprised as well. And so it's nice to be able to offer concert goers the opportunity to be surprised, but also know that they're going to have a, a good time. I mean, the thing that struck me when I was looking through the list, you've got Apocalyptica coming. That's awesome. Cello heavy metal. Yeah, I mean, I feel... Whom do we present? We present young artists who bring something new to the table. We present famous artists who make a big mark on the planet in terms of our cultural life. And we present people who bring something, who invented something. And Apocalyptica, they found an audience for playing, you know, hard rock on cellos. And I think that's cool. And why not, especially in our cello festival this year, Cello Mania, to show how wide the stylistic range is what you can do with a cello. Yeah, absolutely. I'd say quite confidently your aim is to present a lot of good music to put it simply <laughs> well but but with a certain aim to grow an audience i mean in dresden we have hundred thousand people who regularly go to concerts that's an audience of a um, city of a few million so we have a high percentage of people who are interested in classical music so i want to foster that i want to actually widen that and I want to bring maybe this is a city of 600,000 people. So I hope to have maybe one third of them at some point being interested in classical music and regularly going, which, which you have to think, okay, what would an audience like this like? We even had a, you know, Korean pop star, Rain. I met him in China and he was an ama amazing dancer and singer. I mean, like he was basically the BTS of his time and, and started, you know, the, the K-pop, which was, Like, it's a huge genre. And when I, when I met him, I immediately thought, okay, great. Rain, hey, would you come to Dresden? And he said, sure. So he flew in a little plane with, with a few of his dancers to Dresden and we gave a concert together. We made videos. I played some intros to his songs on the Zemper Oper. And we had this young audience with their, uh, you know, glowing signs, we love rain waving. And we had also the old traditional audience who came and was looking at these youngsters and saying, that's great. We all coming together. And so you need to know exactly what your toolbox is. And I think that's for me a lot of fun. And I would say I'm just a festival guy, let's say, to, to, to feel that uh, one has to always get new tools. And I work with my really wonderful team of artistic administrators, Imke and Katarina. They are really two very experienced uh, artistic administrators who have worked in Germany, but also America. And so we try to really 
work on always exploring what's out there, what can we bring to excite people and what's also real quality. I think that expertise is very important. So we tell the audience the story, okay, don't worry, come to the concert and we'll give you a good time. Also fostering this new generation so it's not all exactly the same because if everything stayed the same, then nothing would change. That's really true. I think you you you, you hit the big, big point. The big point is really, it's constant change, right? And how do we make constant change happen? I think look at the young people. If you look at the young people, you see it all. They might not always have yet the experience, but they do have exactly the pulse of our time. I recently for the Molsburg Festival did a recording of Dvorak works and we went to the studio, all youngsters, and I was just the only kind of senior member <laughs> who who was had played these pieces a thousand times, but some of them had not even played the Dvorak Piano Quartet. And when we went in the studio, I was just one of them. And now I listen to the result and I hear a lot of things that just surprise me that I say, mm. wow, that really sounds new. If I would have used my experience and just pushed through what I knew, I wouldn't have gotten that. So we have to listen to the young musicians. We have to listen to the young audiences. We have to really involve everyone. Just to, to stay curious, I think. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Jan, for joining me today. Um, and good luck with the Summer Festival. I hope it goes really well. <laughs> Thank you so much. That was Jan Vogler. Right now, you're listening to an extract from his upcoming album, exploring popular songs from four centuries, from Monteverdi to Michael Jackson, named, fittingly enough, Pop Songs. It's available from the 6th of May, so check out the show notes for more info. And don't forget to head to our website, thestrad.com, to check out the latest news, articles and reviews on all things to do with string playing. And if you like what you see and hear, register and subscribe to access exclusive archival content from 2010 onward. We've got 50% off an online subscription for students. Plus, if you're listening in the month of April right now, you can save 20% off a digital subscription with the code Easter 22, only until the 30th of April. And if you're not sure you're ready to subscribe, take out a free trial for seven days, start reading right away with no strings attached. If you happen to be on Apple Podcasts right now, give us a little review or a rating. Thanks for listening and tune in again soon for another episode. Take good care. Bye.